Welcome to the Programming Podcast. Here you can learn about computer science concepts in a brief and accessible way. I'm your host, Minko Gadget. Hello, everyone. Today in the Programming Podcast, we are going to cover the four core principles of the object-oriented programming. So why object-oriented programming? I know that recently OOP or object-oriented programming, in short, have had pretty bad fame. A lot of people are criticizing object-oriented programming because of how it is used in a couple of languages. So a lot of people consider it very verbose, overcomplicated, and the program programs developed with object-oriented programming over-engineered. It doesn't have to be that way. Both object-oriented programming and functional programming, they have their pros and cons. Functional programming often has fewer concepts, so this makes it easier to learn. Also, in purely functional languages, we have immutable data structures and all the different functions that operate over these immutable data structures, which are pretty much unchangeable, so we don't have state mutation, are pure. So it is very predictable to know what is actually happening. On the other side, with object-oriented programming, we can very conveniently create different abstractions. And often people consider it much more intuitive to think about, because we are used to thinking about the world around us as different objects, which are instances of certain classes. For example, we see a tree and, well, we think about this tree as an instance of the class tree. This is actually very common to the philosophy which was introduced by Plato many, many years ago in ancient Greece, where he thought that we had this world of shapes and what we see on the ground are just different instances. What we see in our world are just different instances, different imperfect instances of these shapes. And yeah, these shapes can be considered as classes and the individual instances that we see around us, they're the individual objects in our programs. Now, since we know that both functional programming and object-oriented programming can have their pros and cons, and object-oriented programming can be extremely powerful paradigm to use in our day-to-day -day development process, I would want to introduce to the four main principles of OOP. They are abstraction, encapsulation, inheritance, and polymorphism. We're going to cover them particularly in this order because introducing abstractions first is going to help us to get to understand the other three principles easier. In general, abstraction is probably the main reason why we are able to create so complicated software systems. Because nobody can actually fit uh, an entire platform as big as, let's say, Google Search or Google Drive or Google Photos. Nobody can do that in their brain without ignoring some of the implementation details. In general, the software that we write is it's extremely complicated. And we as humans, we cannot keep that many things in our head at the same time. So that's why we are using abstraction very often. With abstraction, we are capturing only the essential properties, only the essence of the entities that we're modeling. And we're ignoring everything else. That is great because it helps us to think about fewer things and from there on we can just combine these abstracted pieces together into more complicated entities and from there ignore some of their implementation details as well. There is a very powerful design pattern called Facade 
which exactly aims to do that. It just provides a very high level interface or an API to a more complicated network of objects which communicate together. And since we are not interested in this entire API, that is the union of uh, the interfaces of all of these tiny objects, we're only interested on a subset of it and the interactions between these objects, we can very easily abstract this and create a facade on top, which just shows us a very small piece of what is actually going on under the hood. So with abstraction, we're just hiding some non-essential properties of entities that we're modeling. Very often we're modeling objects or entities from the real world. A very common example is to model a person. Often we just represent a person in our program as a class which has birth dates and a name. And this is completely enough. In other cases though, if we are building a platform for medical services, we may want to include more things. For example, we may want to introduce some medical history of this person who turns out to be a patient. And in these cases, we can just like extend or shrink or just show a subset of the properties that a particular entity has. Now let us talk about encapsulation. Encapsulation often refers to two different things. First, hiding some implementation details in a class. And second, just bundling together methods and data. The methods that are operating on top of some particular piece of data. We usually bundle them together in a class. So just by creating a class, which is well coherent, if you're not sure what coherence is, you can go back to one of the previous episodes where I'm discussing cohesion and coupling in object-oriented programming. So by, by just building this abstraction, this class, which groups together some data and methods that operate on this data, we are creating some level of encapsulation. And on top of that, we don't have to expose all these methods as part of the public interface of the class. We can just provide a subset of them. Uh, the ones which are not essential for the customers of this class, they can be hidden. Often, object-oriented languages, they provide different visibility modifiers. For example, public, private, protected. So by using these visibility modifiers, you can hide some methods and some properties, some data of these classes that is not essential for their consumers. For example, if we would want to have an abstraction of type person, we can have the birth date of this person and we can mark it as private because the user might be interested only in the age of the person. So we can have a method called getAge, we can keep the birth date private and we can just calculate the birth age for the person without exposing any implementation details. The next principle that we're going to discuss today is inheritance. This is probably the most controversial one because inheritance in object-oriented programming is primarily used for code reuse and creating an abstraction which is reusable through inheritance could be very tricky. Usually, in order to make sense for a certain class to inherit from another, they need to be in an is-a relationship. For example, human is a mammal, so a human can inherit from mammal. But this could be quite tricky in a lot of cases. So inheritance, it creates a very strong coupling between the parent class and the child class. 
they cannot function independently at all, and all the data defined in the parent class exists in the child class as well. There is a very famous quote that it's better to have called duplication than a wrong abstraction. And this is so much true. Very often when you have a wrong abstraction and when you have created a certain base class only in order to be able to reuse some piece of logic defined inside of it, you create very unmaintainable system which is hard to follow, hard to track. It's not obvious that a certain class is in is a relationship with its parent. And it gets even more tricky when you try to inherit from this certain base class many times. Because this abstraction gets trickier and trickier and gets, gets more leaky over time. Let me give you a very simple example. Imagine we have a class called Rectangle. And we also have a class called Square. So it kind of makes sense for the square to inherit from the rectangle, right? Because it is a kind of a rectangle, just its two sides are equal. Now in the rectangle we have two methods called setWidth and setHeight. These methods, they don't make too much sense in the square because there we have only a single side. We don't have width and height. So we have two different ways to proceed, but probably the most popular one would be just to set both the width and the height of our square to the same side, to the same value, once the user invoke, invokes its methods set width and set height. But now imagine we have a collection of rectangles. We have many rectangles in an array. And we want to loop over all of them and extend their surface, their area, with 10%. So what we can do is just calculate that we can extend their width with certain percentage so that we can achieve the satisfying area extension as well. So far so good. We're going to loop over the rectangles, but one of them is going to turn out to be a square because we're operating over the base classes, but since square inherits from rectangle, well, it's absolutely valid for a square to be in this collection as well. This is actually related to the next principle that we're going to discuss, polymorphism. So we're going to set the width of our rectangles and everything is going to work as we expect to work. But since one of our rectangles is a square, we're going to set both its width and its height to the same value, which is going to lead to a bug in our program since we're going to increase the area with a bigger percentage than the one we were expecting. So here how simple and very obvious inheritance chain can turn out to be problematic. So we should be very cautious when using inheritance. And the last principle that we're going to discuss today is called polymorphism. We kind of already indirectly mentioned that in our previous example where we had a collection of rectangles and one of these rectangles was actually a square, which is completely possible. We can have an array of rectangles and we can push a square inside of this array if our square misleadingly inherits from rectangle. That's what polymorphism is. We can have different behavior of the methods, a certain object, depending on to which child class they're actually bound to. Here is a simple example. We can have an interface or an abstract class called render, and we can have different implementations of this render. We can have an implementation for let's say HTML5 canvas, we can have an implementation for the DOM and we can have an implementation 
for a server-side renderer, which renders everything into a string. So these different implementations, uh, they can exist in the same array of type renderer because they're implementing the renderer interface or they're from the base class render. Once we're performing rendering though, and we invoke a render box or render container or however we would want to call the individual methods in our abstraction, once we invoke this method, we're going to get to the exact instance that implements uh, this method and we're going to invoke the correct logic depending on what kind of child class we're currently operating over. This is quite flexible and quite powerful. Thanks to polymorphism, we can implement different behavior depending on what circumstances we're operating in. Polymorphism is essential for many design patterns. Previously, we discussed the design pattern decorator, which takes advantage of polymorphism a lot as well. As you probably remember, in the decorator design pattern, we're inheriting from a common abstraction and the decorator wraps an instance, a certain class, let's say a UI widget. And since the decorator and this child class that we have wrapped in the decorator, they are inheriting from the same parent class, we can use them interchangeably. So we can use the child class at the same place where we have used the decorated child class. So that's pretty much all of it. I'm going to apply links for further reference where you can learn more about abstraction, encapsulation, inheritance, and polymorphism. Thank you very much for listening. To learn about new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at mgetcher. The list of all resources and recordings is available at podcast.mgetchev.com. Thanks for listening.